0: Assalamu yes. yes. alaikum. Okay, uh, we're actually going to start our episode today, uh, Politics in the Time of Corona. Uh, my name is Bassam Haddad and I'm joined by my uh, fantastic co-host. You're scaring me. We're no, on, day seven, so we're on day seven. We're going crazy as everyone is... By
1: interview seven, we should say. Interview we're on seven, day
0: in quarantine. 7th episode and we are very excited to be here. Uh, This is uh, Status Al-Wada podcast and we are joined by the lovely, the fantastic, the amazing, the eloquent, uh, the sweet uh, and brilliant uh, Adil Faraj Skandar from
2: Vancouver. Hi. Keep going. How are you guys?
1: Wonderful. Adel is a professor at uh, Simon Fraser University and will give us the vantage point from British Columbia and Canada more generally. Uh, We should start out, Adil by asking, um, by actually telling our our listening audience that we have a personal interaction that begins in about around the week of March 7th. Because that was the week that we were supposed to visit Adar and his family. Bassem and I were each giving lectures at Simon Fraser. Um, And then we pulled the plug on it thinking that we didn't want to travel. Thinking it was about to get worse.
0: Except Noura thought it was going to be totally fine. It was seven days before that, and you know, in my mind, the exponential increase was such that we're not supposed to do it, and I didn't think anything... I really did-
1: wanted to come to Vancouver and see y'all. So, but Adel, you, you explained that you know, we pulled the plug, which seemed unnecessary, and then within, within a matter of days, we were proven right. Can you tell us about that?
2: Uh, absolutely right. And then I have to say, for the record, I was totally wrong on my assessment of how things were going to unfold. Um, you know, initially, we you know, everything seemed like it was going according to plan. Um, we had, you know, up until that point in early March, um, there was already just like a very, very strong and, and, and versatile debate about the virus and its spread here in Canada. But everything happened very, very swiftly uh, in terms of like procedure and what should and shouldn't be done by like early to mid-March. So just shortly after we got you know confirmation that everything was going to happen you're going to come and visit you know we had pr- planned all of your talks and we were super excited to have you um, you you know Bassem sounded the alarm he's like oh i don't know how i feel about this you know traveling between three areas. did worse. i use the One word minute, feel? feel what's that
0: did i use the word feel I, I, okay
2: i'm concerned how about that no that's worse that's, that's yeah. like you know i don't talk about affect you're like, that's I'm, like you I'm, I'm At music.
0: department meetings i'm concerned i can't hear that anymore, I can't hear that anymore.
1: It was analytical so, and not effective. You're correct. Go ahead. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Bassam sounds the alarm and, uh, and the rest of us are like, you know, we genuinely understand where you're coming from, but we want to assure you that even though the number of cases here in BC are on the rise, <laughs> Things are under control. Uh, but, you know, you have the prerogative to, to do what makes you feel comfortable. Um, at no point did we think that it was a bad idea to, to pull the plug. But then, you know, five days late, five, five days after that correspondence and a day prior to the talks and the events, literally the entire city and province shut down. The university it shuts down. Everything comes to an absolute standstill. And uh, And so while it's really wonderful that you ended up not being here because it's better you know, in terms of safety for everyone. Uh, we would have loved to have you quarantined with us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. We'd love to come back.
1: Can you tell us about how your students actually in the demographic makeup of the province um, was ahead yeah. of the, the government?
2: Absolutely. So just a little a little bit of a um, um, sort of a descriptor about Vancouver and British Columbia. Vancouver as a city has a very, very substantial um, Southeast Asian population. Um, we have uh, somewhere between 25 and 30% of our population uh, comprised of communities, diasporic and, and migrant communities, as well as expat uh, communities and student communities uh, from, Ch- uh, from China, both mainland and, and Taiwan, uh, from Hong Kong, uh, from Japan and, and elsewhere. So the very, very Southeast Asian uh, community, which meant that um, by mid to late January, as things were really sort of ratcheting up uh, in Wuhan uh, and Hubei province, as well as other places in China we started noticing uh, behavioral changes on the part of some of these communities. Many of them are traveling back and forth. Some of them were actually, um, I mean, it coincided with the Chinese New Year. So all of a sudden within the Chinese community here, they began to shut down the Chinese New Year celebrations, not even by instruction of the, of the uh, municipal or or provincial government. They were just taking it upon themselves to physically distanced in the same way that their, their communities back home were doing. So as, as non-Asian communities kind of watching this, we're like, wait a minute, um, we should probably be concerned as well. Um, at that point, by late January, we're already seeing um, you know, a proliferation of masks and gloves and people you know, physically distancing. My student, I walk into class and the number of students was quickly dwindling uh, in number the turnout many of them were taking the risk of having their participation grade you know go down with the intention of protecting themselves students were dispersing within the classroom space as well uh, so all types of things like that and of course i remember walking into class and trying to um and and again in retrospect it's i wouldn't say it's bad judgment but i was trying to kind of calm the panic and the anxiety uh, that was being sort of produced and mass produced in many instances by the US press about Asia and Asian countries, you know? So there was a lot of like, you know, racism and discrimination and bigotry directed towards um, many Asian students and Asians at large Uh, because they were seen as somehow infected like it was it really became racialized very very quickly Um, and we started seeing horrible things in the news even even here in in bc and and across canada Um, article i mean donald trump uses the word china virus frequently we saw the term china virus used on the front page of a major vancouver newspaper vancouver province literally in large font china virus arrives i mean those types of things Um, so but at, but, at the same time, um, it meant that the alarm was sounded much earlier, so we, at least as far as BC is concerned, we are the westernmost province in Canada, so given both uh, you know not just demographically but in terms of geographic proximity to Asia, we have so many flights going back and forth between various cities in China every day so the the provincial health authorities began instituting um, procedures for monitoring and and uh, and um, uh, and trying to contain the virus from, from very early on. And they were really communicating with Chinese authorities and Chinese uh, Center for Disease Control. I mean, a lot of data that was in the, in the BC media at the time, uh, as early as mid to late January, was already reporting from the Chinese Center for Disease Control. Like, this is what the virus is doing. This is how the aerosolization works. This is how long it lasts in, on surfaces. Like, we were starting to get this information as early as late January. Um, so, it was around that time that, um, that we began to kind of like feel like something needs to be done. Um, and we started taking precautions, but also listening to what the government has to say. And, and the government was the lead in that regard. So, for a substantial amount of time, there was don't panic, take it easy. Uh, we've got this under control. We're monitoring the number of cases, we're isolating them. There's no reason to shut down you know, life as, as we know it. Um, and, you know, so we operated on that basis and then it wasn't until the period just before you arrived that the switch was like, that's it, Khalas. everybody go home. Uh, and even the university, there was a lot of resistance on the part of the administration at first to, I mean, at Simon Fraser University, we, we had a, a lot of resistance at first. Our students were basically, you know, saying we we're not comfortable going to class. Um, faculty members saying we're, we're not comfortable going to committee meetings. And the university resisted, resisted, resisted until it became, until U.S. universities began shutting down. When Berkeley and some of the Ivy League schools started shutting down, that's when it sent a signal to us that maybe this is acceptable procedure for a university and
0: they did i uh, did before we go on we want to ask you uh later about uh, vancouver and british Columbia in particular and of course canada in general but before that we actually forgot to ask you about how you and your family are coping because we got into the uh this interview with uh hakeem's is is yeah
2: no no of course assalamu alaykum back to you and, and your family uh there is uh honestly i think we're we're managing we're managing well like we're hanging in there it's it, what we're going through is no different than anybody else uh it's it's a uh, it's a transnational transcultural you know all encompassing holistic you know crisis that affects everyone uh we we consider ourselves to be immensely privileged that we have everything that we need you know under same household. Many of our communities, you know, from the Middle East and North Africa and various other countries that have been on the receiving end of the American kind of military industrial machine for years uh, have been subjugated in crazy ways, whether like, you know, as refugees or displaced or living under siege, our families and our friends in Gaza and elsewhere. Really, we are, yeah, and you're faring extremely well. But, but many of us are carrying the traumas of the conflicts and the wars that we carry. And for a lot of people, I you know, myself included, um, the claustrophobia, the, the anxiety around what is happening or what may happen moving forward, not just around virus, but just the unpredictability can be deeply unsettling. But having said that, we are okay. We are okay, we're well, we're taking care of ourselves. Uh, we're connecting with friends and family and loved ones, and that's the only way to kind of keep things going, and to resist the idea of social distancing while maintaining physical distancing. Like that's. That's, kind
0: of- that's great to hear. And the other reason we didn't ask is because I've been I've been speaking with you, so uh, apologies. So uh, we would like to uh, start this. Uh, I, not only next, but we
1: actually started. Already. We actually, yeah.
0: you know. We've- no, I mean, this next half, I was going to say this next half, but we're actually... That was, that
2: was already a half? Yeah, More than half,
0: actually. I think Hakim's song took a good portion of this. So we would like to ask you to give us a, a broad overview of some data, uh, because people hear about the United States, about some European countries, about East Asia and so on, but we don't know much about Canada. At least some people don't.
2: I mean, I mean it's, it, when it comes to coronavirus and the spread of the, the virus and mortality rates, sometimes not having any news is good news. Um, here in Canada, while the numbers are like anywhere else, um, increasing uh, the expor- exponential curve is not as steep as it is in other places. Um, so right now we have about nine thousand or close to ten thousand reported cases across uh, all provinces and territories. Um, The number of, uh, let me just check real quick, just so we can be live and um, so that's, we have about 108 mortalities uh, and over uh, 108, 108 mortalities across all provinces. Um, similar to the way the virus has behaved in other places, um, the people most affected are the elderly, the, the physiologically vulnerable people who are immunosuppressed with prior conditions, heart conditions, diabetes, things of that sort. Uh, so we, we see that the vast majority of the mortalities are in the uh, age bracket of over 65, and in some instances, the most affected communities are the communities of, of the elderly in care homes and care homes and and, uh, and nursing homes. Um, so here in the province, the vast majority, I would say at least 80% of all mortalities were in a, a particular. Uh, nursing home uh, that was affected and that nursing home or a care home uh, is in the, uh, the part of the city that is predominantly uh, Iranian, Iranian Canadian. Um, so a lot of, the, so basically the virus came from different places as far as BC is concerned. Our first cases arrived from China. Uh, and because, as I said, the traffic between here and China is quite extensive, so the first few cases that arrived here were from China. Uh, the province did a fairly good job, sort of monitoring the cases and and informing us. There was a, an incredible amount of transparency from day one, I have to say, to the credit of uh, the provincial uh, health authorities. There's a there's a, a person in charge, uh, the the provincial health minister. Uh, her name is Bonnie Henry. She's now become like an iconic heroic figure for people here in BC, because even though she is all about the facts, she's incredibly cogent and calm and comforting. And when she need, you know, and in some case, I mean, she's extremely humane too. She expresses her emotions with incredible honesty and authenticity. So um, the way that she's carried those conferences that have become the uh, the go to source for information about how things are going, including like detailed graphs and all this type of stuff, has been really exemplary. Um, and so, from day one, we started noticing. Uh, Really, really good performance provincially on this issue. But having said that, the first few cases that arrived from China began to proliferate in a, in particular communities where you know the vast majority of the of the of those demographics are of Southeast Asian uh, descent. But that really quickly started to to go down, or the number the number of new cases wasn't so high. When we started seeing cases arriving from Iran, uh, that's when things really kind of blew up. We had we almost had like a curve that was going up and then it was ready to bend, and then the curve went back again because of those care centers. So I would say probably about eight to 10 uh, elderly persons um, uh, passed away from one care center, uh, and there are at least 20, 30 others who've also been afflicted. Um, so they've discontinued visitation, which is, is really tragic for many of, many of, of those elderly um, persons. Uh, they've canceled all visitations. Uh, from family members, which has been very, very difficult for a lot of these people. So many of them are, are sick and alone uh, without sort of recourse. Uh, but having said that, uh, so BC was the first, the first province to be affected by coronavirus. And we started to see the measures kind of rolled out. Uh, by mid-March, we were in full-on—not I wouldn't say lockdown, but uh, but as as close to lockdown as one could get. Um, and then a few days later, there was a declaration of emergency by the city and by the province and elsewhere. Um, they most people here in BC are extremely observant and and uh, and uh, and realize the import of these types of measures. Um, so we see that you know people exercise physical distancing. Anyway, uh, a few, you know, a few individuals, you know, wanted to go party they're, you know, when the weather, I mean, we don't get the sun very often during the springtime. So when the sun came out, all of a sudden, People came out and, you know, hordes of young people were on the beaches and stuff. And the city really quickly started cracking down on that. I wouldn't call it like Miami spring break or anything, but because we're Canadian we don't party like that. But still, um, you know, there was, there was a real quick sort of crackdown on when that. When you say um, crackdown,
1: yeah. do you mean like um, just heavy policing? So was, were there uh, criminal charges I would, associated? I would
2: say just, um, you know, they, they, would, they wouldn't issue citations. Okay. They wouldn't issue fines. They would just like strongly encourage people okay. to go home. You know, just show up and say, hey, you should probably <laughs> go home. So like policing. Yeah, but but then again, we, we all I don't want to I don't want to mischaracterize Canadian sort of policing and security as being like really benevolent because we have other circumstances that are much more problematic. And I want to really quickly say that um, when some of the communities most. Affected and most vulnerable and most precarious in this particular circumstance are First Nations communities, right. many of whom are um, ha- have been effectively, you know, securitized in every possible way just prior to uh, to the right to the coronavirus's arrival. Uh, we have a, a real sort of significant standoff uh, between uh, oil companies that are trying to build a pipeline here in BC uh, and First Nations communities, specifically the northern uh, BC community of Wet'suwet'en, and that became a huge sort of um, mobilization against both the um, both the oil companies as well as the provincial and federal government. So even though we keep parading and 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 sort of reveling and and, and uh, basking in the glow of Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party, their performance on uh, on First Nations issues has been absolutely abysmal. And they have, uh, um, you know, they've really championed an, an attack against the Wet'suwet'en people and forcible removal from, uh, from campsites that are meant to, uh, you know, claim authority over territories that have been unseated and belong to them. There's a lot of like really, Effed up stuff happening in that regard. So don't walk away from this thinking, oh, Canadian police—they're so lovely and gentle and kind. No, they're, they they choose their battles, and when it comes to COVID, they exercised, you know, restraint. But when it comes to issues that are um, that that have to do with decolonization, they're as ruthless as any other force.
0: Before we get to this question that we actually addressed before we started recording, this idea of everybody going crazy for for the governments all over the world, or at least most people. Um, it, it, did it help or does it help the fact that in Canada, I mean, the, in terms of population density and in terms of the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, area, it, it naturally exercises some sort of social distancing? Is, is that a thing or it's not related? To, because cities, of course, are cities.
2: Well, I mean, Canada is not necessarily a, um, a predominantly rural country in the sense that we do have population concentrations in certain areas. So, for instance, and where I haven't arrived yet in the, in the discussion is to say that now the epicenters, the new epicenters uh, of the of the coronavirus are actually in Quebec and Ontario, the two most populous provinces in Canada. So we're looking at the greater Toronto region and the greater Montreal region as new sort of like Sites of of of, ma- of real sort of exponential growth of the virus. Uh, even though we you know here in BC we were the first to 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 see the the coronavirus arrive, uh, we are now eclipsed by Montreal and Toronto and their respective provinces by at least twofold. So most of their cases are, I mean, their, their curve is, is much higher and much steeper than ours. In fact, here in BC, we're starting to bend. So, and that has a lot to do with physical proximity between communities. Canada being an extremely cold country in the winters means that people huddle together. Uh, and communities are, they're clustered, but, uh, but they're dispersed, if you will. So there isn't necessarily physical distance between individuals, but the, 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 the cities and the towns are much farther apart. You guys so, don't
0: spread out across the square miles equidistantly. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah, but still, cluster. You wanted to say equidistant,
0: right? equidistant.
2: <laughs> Such a great word. I love
1: it. You said equidistantly. E- equidistant.
2: <laughs> you said equidistance. Equal. I
0: said equid,
1: equid- equidistance.
0: Did you say equidistance? I think that's why it is correct. Equidistant. What I say? Equal works too. Whatever. Equidistant um, but- equidistant. Oh, I no, thought you I'm, were even. I'm back on. I'm back on. Ktir kinwa hella.
2: distance.
1: Uh, Adel, I think on the note of, you know, uh, you didn't connect them, but they are, they have been connected, especially in the geographies that, you know, we're we're thinking about where the proclamation of state emergencies in order to expand uh, police and state authority has been framed as a benevolent. As, as you've as you've set up for us this juxtaposition of the benevolence of the police but w- what very clearly you know is exposed because of their violence towards first nations right the consistent and Absolutely, right, absolutely. the uninterrupted violence towards First Nations. But this is something that we're seeing almost everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Expansion of police powers for, you know, for some sort of social good. There is concerns that, you know, will we be able to roll back that authority of the state in the aftermath of this? Is it going to entrench itself? Um, which really brings up this global question, one that you pointed out, which was what it looks like um, right now to look at the United States from everywhere else and what that reaction has meant, and even evaluating your own government's performance. Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, I think we, you know, here in Canada, the good thing is that our political sort of culture has precipitated a deep skepticism about the, not only, I mean, we're not concerned about big government as much as we are concerned about what this government does with this, with these sort of powers that are bestowed on it. Um, So for instance, resistance against the policing of First Nations communities, I would say the solidarity movement that emerged a couple of months ago is one of the largest, most cross-cutting mobilizations we've ever seen in Canadian history. We're talking about uh, not just First Nations communities but other communities in solidarity, blocking railroads across the country in support of a a specific nation in a Northern rural area in BC. And that type of cross nation and, and you know, um, and uh, across community kind of solidarity is nothing, is something that we haven't witnessed before. So that bids well for the, the skepticism and the concern that people have. Um, I think for, for people here in Canada, there is uh, the ability to compartmentalize between the performance of a government in some areas and, and not others. So. Trudeau and, and his government, federally speaking, get really high marks on, on so many issues, but they get failing marks on, on dealing with First Nations communities and also sort of turning their back on a, a climate, uh, you know, environmental, environmentalist agenda. They do really well on refugees and resettlement but they do really horribly somewhere else. And I think that is where things might get kind of tricky moving forward. But there will be, I guarantee you, if the expansion of powers translates into um, the securitization of public life, uh, the Canadian Canadian electorate will likely hold uh, Trudeau and the Liberals and anybody else that comes to power on this issue. Uh, where I'm mostly concerned, and I have to say this, I need to say this because it kind of bothers me, but uh, but we're, we're starting to see among a lot of like migrant uh, communities, including, I mean, we have to, I have to like out this stuff, right? Uh, but there there is a, a resurgence of right-wing politics among Middle Eastern communities, diasporic communities in Canada. Uh, and a lot of this stuff comes from uh, you know, their, their deep sort of, not, not suspicion, but their deep concern about, um, you know, the fiscal economic kind of issues and whether or not they're going to be taxed. Many of these people uh, were staunch supporters of the Conservative Party and had a problem with both Trudeau and the Socialist parties and everyone else because they wanted to be taxed less uh, they, they thought the healthcare system here is an abomination. A lot of them had kind of internalized the discourse that comes out of the US, many of whom became really staunch supporters of Trump and the minions that sort of mirror Trump's discourse here in Canada. Um, today, many of these communities continue to produce and reproduce this type of discourse saying, the reason why Canada is failing in its address of the coronavirus is because we haven't privatized our healthcare system not looking at, you know, the the clear and present evidence south of the border and how things have been abysmal
0: uh, Before we close, because we, we, we just like hit our close to our maximum time, the newly established maximum time. Um, shall we talk a little bit about this idea that uh, we observe and witness heroes emerging in different cities all over the world, uh, we, you've talked about your own heroes people talk about the uh, Dr. Uh, Fauci Governor yeah, Cuomo as well in governor. New York despite some serious problems in his historical record and then of course even in places in, in the Middle East people are talking about different personalities is this yes. a function of this like thirst for a chariz- for charisma or charismatic leadership in the absence of of something of sort? or is this something that I mean it's just happening everywhere everyone everyone is touting number of people about how they dealt with this, or
2: maybe, or maybe, Can I give or, my opinion yeah. So I mean, I think it has to do with Nula has a
0: problematic look on her face, <laughs> even though she brought it up before the meeting.
1: I did okay. not.
2: So she likes the way you put it. I
1: did, no, I didn't bring it up. I brought up heroes.
0: No, the fact that everyone is so happy with the government and the, the way they deal with it. you
1: asking about, though, how we create heroes out of people. I was talking about, you know, approval ratings for governments yeah. in different yeah. places where otherwise That's governments...
0: That's true. So, you know,
1: this is a moment that governments have saved their reputation because they've been so bad, yeah. but they've known how to clamp down on people and keep them separate. It's, it's both <laughs> things. It's,
0: it's people identifying certain individuals and then people actually also praising and celebrating government's responses or I mean, some the, some government's responses.
2: The, the ironic thing is that people are praising government for cracking down. Which is the <laughs> exactly. sort of counterintuitive. Like typically we're like, oh no no, we have human rights, please no, don't don't infringe on our freedoms. And then it's like, oh please infringe. You didn't infringe enough. You suck. How can you possibly know, <laughs> uh, Please whip me, whip me. Yes, right here now.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> and then, then, speaking of China and other places who have been actually quite severe in terms of applying discipline, that was. About, we we want to be like that, or at least some. Uh, countries are saying that not all.
2: Not well, I, mean, all. I don't know if you remember, but some of the early press about China and, it, and the government's response to Wuhan in the U.S. and Canadian and Western press was like, "Look, the authoritarianism, look how they're, they, it's even more excessive. They're, letting, they're forcing people into their homes, and now we have to do the same thing. Network television, are being commended. Network so.
0: television is full of people yelling at everyone and yeah. non-network television, I'm not talking about, you know, more alternative news media, that, yeah. that how come we haven't imposed these severe restrictions yet? Not yeah. these as in the ones imposed in China, but see, like, there are many states in the United States, about 18 or so, that still haven't imposed any serious restrictions.
1: With all due respect, though, I mean, given how complicated and the gray areas of clampdown and lockdown, um, m- scientists have told us to do this. So I, with the fact that network television is scolding certain cities for not, you know, doing what the scientists have told us to do, I think is, is, is right. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have it. no critique. Yeah, there's no critique no, there. I mean, no, it's a positive if, if, we, that's if, if we let
2: the scientists and the epidemiologists lead to try and control, like, the spread of the virus, then that becomes... And that becomes, like, an extraordinary circumstance. We have to know that this has, like, a temporal, like, finitude to that it. There needs to, like, end at some point. We can't have this be, like a prolonged state of affairs. Which, but Which, hold
1: on, but, and the most important thing, and I think here to point out that this isn't necessarily, the reason that we're applauding governments is because they're doing precisely what we want them to do. They're not weak, like as you demonstrated in, in, in BC, the student community, the student population and the faculty were already taking measures before the administration did, before the province did. So-, so- it's, the
2: same, it's the same as like trying to commend the, I know this is like an outrageous example, but it's like commending the Saudi Arabian government for, you know, for allowing women to drive. Wait a minute, we've had decades worth of women Correct. activists Correct. trying to drive and being arrested. Some of whom still languish in jails, to this day, because they were calling for a, for a law that is now officially, you know, in place. So, I mean, I think, I think, of course, this is kind of an extreme example, but I do want to get to the point that you're making, Basem, about this issue of heroes, because some people are, in, in some ways, being projected to the forefront, and they become, like, the voices of reason, or these, like, pseudo-messianic figures that are, like, you know, either helping us curb our anxieties or allowing us to feel like we're protected. We're almost like injured animals. It's very weird. Like we're looking for heroes in some regards. And the problematic thing about these, about having, I mean, we all need them in some regards, uh, but what it does is it creates the illusion, in some instances, it creates the illusion of transparency and accountability. I mean, whoever can perform transparency and accountability well right now, is going to resonate and and some are better than others I mean I can tell you that at least here in Canada our you know our press they grill the you know they grill the the officials I mean this is public pre- public media by the way so our public media grill the press grill the officials and the officials are are subservient in the sense that they have to respond with politeness with, uh, with reason, with documentation. It has to be evidence-based information, right? Yeah, and, and that you know, is the nature of the relationship. It's a relationship built on accountability. But in other places, there isn't a relationship built on it, accountability. It Look is, at Jordan, for instance. It is it's not perfect. built on accountability. It's about heroism of officials and, and leaders.
0: It is context specific.
2: The idea
0: here also is that in the United States, Given the way at least early on until very recently, the way uh, the uh, uh, White House and Trump dealt with this actually created a vacuum for other people to come in, step in, say a few things whereby people are like oh my god this is this is the person who actually we would love to be you know leaving this country at this point, not What we have uh, now, a person who is saying or who used to was saying that this is either a hoax or something that is not, you know, not going to uh, uh, be with us for a long time and so on and so forth. There's also the issue of uh, the importance of understanding the role of government, the role of public policy, whereby a lot of people actually try to, to, uh, uh, especially on the right, try to minimize the role of government until a moment like this where the role of government needs to actually be extremely uh, 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 extensive and, uh, and, and fast and efficient, which also requires preparations when there are no uh, crises. So it, it also brings up a lot of things in those regards, whether it's about heroes, personalities, and the role of government and the public-private. The role divide. of government
1: and economic systems, is, I think one of the greatest kind of, you know, shorthands for all of this is that for all of those who are celebrating capitalism, they fail to take into account that socialism saves it every few years. I mean, right? And so this is another moment where the the facts on the ground are demonstrating that socialism isn't some sort of radical idea. It's an absolute basic necessity for public health and otherwise.
0: Unfortunately, I mean, of course, this is not about instrumentalism, but I really think that, you know, for instance, uh, Bernie Sanders' message would have resonated a lot more had the timeline been actually a little bit different. Uh I don't well, think
2: a little bit i mean you look at trump's approval ratings as shocking as it sounds trump's, trump's approval ratings, ratings exactly. are out the roof it's it's, so I think, so and it's, it's the democratic party to read State the State the, State. the populace in that regard but i want to say something vis-a-vis canada specifically in this issue of social like a lot of people in canada had started doubting the healthcare system and the way it operates and they were buying into a lot of the propaganda coming out of the right wing circles in the united states this idea of like wait times and what have you and 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 the incapacitation of the system or that we're being taxed too much or we're never getting our money's worth today what the canadian government has done and i and i have to commend them for for doing this because there are two two ways see, (laughs) see see i fell into the trap but hey i called them out earlier remember it's compartmentalization uh so um, so, for instance, while there's a stimulus package now coming out from you know the Trump administration that's going to go to support the private sector major corporations to have them contribute to the fight against the coronavirus. Here in Canada, most of the, the money is going towards um, wage deferral, um, ensuring that people can pay rent. So the distribution of what looks like tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars is going to go towards very, very small businesses, mom and pop kind of operations to keep them running, not going to the 3Ms and the Boeings and what have you, like to keep their operations running. So you know, I think that there is, um, there is a difference in performance, even when it comes to the way capitalism works. What we fear here in Canada is what all of us fear um, is this disaster capitalism stuff to use like Naomi Klein 's description. like here in Canada, we read Naomi Klein for fun, right? So disaster capitalism is something that we'd already kind of internalized. so as soon as this happened, we, we have people across Canada talking about the possibility that major corporations are gonna come in and swoop up, you know, whatever remains of the public sector uh, in, in Canada. And, and I think to be on, on, on guard, if you will, to kind of confront that is, is, uh, is you know, it behoves us to, to really like prepare for it. In the United States, I don't know what we, we can do when the discourse is really about libertarianism as the solution to all problems. So, oh, it's a, you know, the problem is with the private sector, let's make it even more private you know what i mean it's it's really strange it's like you're throwing you know you're throwing um, gasoline onto the fire thinking that it's going to put it out
0: absolutely and i i do feel uh i said feel on 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 camera i do feel and think that uh, yeah i know i do feel and think that, use that this episode i mean as with many other episodes but it comes at a particular time that i do think it can be actually seized upon by the left and by people interested in a proper and efficient role uh, for government in ways that i think uh, were not people were not not people but certain segments were not readily uh, responsive to which is why i think that it actually could affect the uh, course of politics and even elections in a, in a possible alternative uh, world yeah and and it could be looked and it could be like uh, it could be looked back upon in such in, in that manner actually but listen i i would love to say other things and i know Noura would and i know you would
1: no i'm good, You're good.
0: I, no okay great so i know you would and i know we could talk here forever and about all sorts of things but we really have to stop because we're like hitting the 35 minute mark and we and it's it's it, it just went so fast because it's with you adel i just uh, neglected to say that adel is also a co-editor okay of uh Jedaliya. he is also a uh a major force in uh status uh, Wada uh, podcast which uh, this is a part of he is also the uh co-editor of the media page on Jedalia and uh, many more things so you, it, it, it's also somewhat you know incestuous that, that you're part of all of these things except that you know we called you seventh uh, not first because you know uh we are we're, we're trying to get to uh, other we're areas. performing
2: neutrality yeah See, of course of course of course we're <laughs> performing nepotism it's so had,
0: uh, love to the Thank family and take care really of yourselves? i appreciate,
2: Be safe. appreciate it. keep up the good work and hang Salam in there, there. it's 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 teremonic